0: Well, we've been in a series uh, called Life of Abundance, and we're going to continue in that. I had something specific on my heart this morning, kind of thought, well, you know, is this like a a separate message? But it really fits right in here uh, with this series and uh, goes along. It's just the next step in it. So we're going to turn to John 10, verse 1. We'll read that. It's been... uh, Actually, John 10, 10 there's text, but we're going to start in verse 1, read a, read a little bit of context, and then go from, from there. Praise God. This is the first Sunday of the new year, and um, I have something specifically on my heart to share concerning that. John 10, verse 1, it says, Most assuredly, I say to you, He who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs up some other way, the same is a thief and a robber. So if he's not coming straight ahead through the door, he's not the right guy. He's not supposed to be there. Verse 2, But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the doorkeeper opens, and the, the sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. And when he brings out his own sheep, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. Yet they will by no means follow a stranger, but will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. Jesus used this illustration, but they did not understand the things which he spoke to them. Verse 7, then Jesus said to them again, most assuredly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who ever came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief does not come except to steal and to kill and to destroy. I have come that they may have life and that they may have it more abundantly. I have come that they may have life and that they may have it more abundantly. Uh, In the New Living Translation, John 10.10 says, My purpose is to give them a rich and satisfying life. John 10.10, in the God's Word Translation, says, But I came so that my sheep will have life, and so that they will have everything they need. In the Amplified Classic, it says, I came that they may have and enjoy life, and have it in abundance to the full till it overflows. Now we read this, uh, we'll go over these things just real briefly. That word life is the word, the Greek word zoe, and it means literally life. We're talking about God's kind of life. God, Jesus came that we could have God's kind of life and that we could have it in abundance. Life, uh, that that word life is zoe, but then the... the uh, when it's abundance, when it's saying abundance, that means superabundant in quantity or superior in quality by implication excessive. Uh, exceedingly, above, abundantly above, more abundantly, uh, exceedingly, very highly, beyond measure, more superfluous. That's what that word abundant means. So when Jesus is saying, I came that they may have abundant life, he's saying that I may, I've come that they may have exceeding life, more than enough life. But what I want to focus on this morning, if we go back to the God's Word translation, it says, I came so that my sheep will have life, and so that they will have everything they need. I came so that my sheep will have life, and so that they will have everything they need. And what I want to talk to you about this morning is that you have everything you need to follow and fulfill and walk out God's plan for you for the future, but specifically 2019. You have everything you need to walk that out and going forward, of course. But I just, we're right at the beginning of the year. And what I had on my heart is you have everything you need. You have everything you need. I said, you have everything you need. Now, our heads can go, yeah, but I need this. I mean, everybody. In the back, you're like, well, okay, I'll say that with him. He wants us to say it. (laughs) But I can think of five things that I know I don't have that I need. You You don't have to nod your heads. I know that's what's going on. People are thinking, yeah, but I need something. But what I want. The thought I want to get across to us this morning is we have what we need to accomplish what He has for us. You have, it, you have what you need to take this next step to get what you need, to take the next step to get the next thing that you need. In other words, right now, you have the seed and the ability to go forward with what God has for you now. You have the ability to get what you're going to need tomorrow and what you're going to need next week. In other words, you don't have to have what you're going to need in six months. You need to know what you need now, because what you have right now is enough to get you to the next step. And that's all you need now. Mm-hmm. Hallelujah. Amen. You have what you need today. Everything you need today, you have. See, if we'll look at what we have instead of what we think we need, we'll be able to take the next step and go with God. But if we say, but I can't do it because I need such and such, we will not be in the right position. We'll stay stagnant when in fact we have exactly what we need now. Glory to God. Amen. Philippians 4.19. It says, my God shall supply all your need according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. My God shall supply all your need according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. He said he would supply everything you need. He didn't say he'd supply everything you want. Now, He gives you the desires of your heart, don't get me wrong, as we walk with Him, we'll get what, uh, He'll put desires in our heart and we'll walk those things out. But sometimes what we think we need or think we want is not actually what we need now. And we can get confused and we can get despondent or we can get stuck As if God is holding out and doesn't he realize I need such and such if I'm going to do, if I'm going to do this. Well, if God is holding out on us, then we're, we're in a bad place. If God has asked you to do something and he says, go do this. Oh, but you can't have this. You can't have it. I'm not going to give it to you. Uh, And if it's God doing it, you might as well give up now. If God is truly doing that, why even play the game? Mm -hmm. Are you going to be able to jump high enough to get it, you know? If you were an adult and you're messing with some kid, well, can you get it? Well, you pull pull the thing up, they try to jump for it. Well, they may be able to fake you out and get it. If God is truly doing that, you're not going to get it. So if we think that way, what's the point? The thing is, it is never that way. That's right. God has actually done everything that we need. He has given everything that we need in front of us. And so what do we need to do? Believe that, act on it, believe that He's a good God, act on what we have, take steps with what we have, and then you get to the next step. The deal is, that takes faith. We would love it if everything were just laid out in front of us, wouldn't we? Just everything is crystal clear, all I have to do is just, just walk along, because I know how everything's going to happen every step of the way, and I know that wouldn't be walking by faith. The Bible says we walk by faith, not by sight. And the Bible says that, we, that uh, without faith it is impossible to please God. So, if we're going to walk with Him, we need to get used to walking by faith. Praise God. Amen. Philippians 4, verse 11, just skipping back a few verses. It says, Not that I speak in regard to need, for I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. I know how to be abased, I know how to abound. Everywhere in all things I have learned both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. So, Paul is saying here, I might have needed some things in the natural, but he had everything he absolutely needed. He might have been without certain things that he would have liked to have, like, a warm bed at some time. You know, a boat when he was swimming in the deep and he'd rather actually be in a boat. But he made it through. Over and over, he made it through. The Apostle Paul would just keep chugging on and he would make it to the next step over and over. But he said, I was content. Verse 11 says, not that I speak in regard to need. He was talking about an offering and talking about these people uh, giving. But he said, for I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. Well, if we're content with where we are, then we can expect that the next step is going to happen. But if we're always thinking, I I need something else, I need something else, then that's going to be, we're not going to be at peace. We're not going to be calm. We're always thinking, I don't have what I need, I can't be happy. Or I don't have what I need, I can't, I can't accomplish what I need to. Well, Paul's saying here, I've learned in whatever state I am, to be content. I know how to be abased, I know how to, be, I, how to abound. That means when it, it looks like there's not, like I don't have anything, I know how to walk there. When it looks like I have everything, I know how to walk in there. He said, whatever state I am... Uh, I have learned to be content. He said, everywhere and in all things, I have learned both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Right there. Through Him, I can do whatever I need to do. If we have the Lord Jesus Christ, then we have what we need. If God were here in the flesh, through if Jesus were here, do you think he would be worried that he didn't have something in front of him? When when they looked like they didn't have food, what did he do? It was multiplied. Just a little bit. Did they have what they needed? Yeah. Did it look like they have what they needed? No. But... He always had everything, he, in every situation he was calm, in every situation uh, he was able to walk through. Jesus didn't lose his cool. Jesus didn't get in a frenzy. Jesus was able to deal with every situation. Now I want you to turn over to, uh, let's go over to Luke. Nine. We're going to look at a few different, a um, couple different portions of scripture examples. Luke 9, verse 1, says, Then He called His twelve disciples to get, together and gave them power and authority over all demons and to cure diseases. And He sent them to preach the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. And He said to them, Take nothing for the journey, neither staffs, nor bag, nor bread, nor money. And do not have two tunics apiece. So he's telling them, go out. And he said, don't take anything for the journey. Neither staffs, nor bag, nor bread, nor money, and do not have two, uh, two tunics apiece. He's telling them, go out and don't worry about all this stuff. Verse 4, whatever house you enter, stay there, and from there depart, and whoever will not receive you when you go out of that city, shake off the very dust from your feet as a testimony against them. So they departed and went through the towns, preaching the gospel and healing everywhere. So they went and did what they were told to do. Now we skip down to chapter 10, verse 1. Chapter 10, verse 1. Luke chapter 10, verse 1 says, After these things the Lord appointed 70 others also and sent them two by two before his face into every city and place where he himself was about to go. So he's sending out people ahead of him, disciples, to, uh, to get the people ready for him to come. Verse 2, Then he said to them, The harvest, is, er, the harvest truly is great. But the laborers are few. Therefore, pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Go your way. Behold, I send you out as lambs among wolves. Carry neither money bag, knapsack, nor sandals, and greet no one along the road. So he told him the same thing, essentially. Don't take anything with you. But whatever house you enter, say peace to this house. And if a son of peace is there, your peace will rest on. And if not, it will return to you and remain in the same house, eating and drinking such thing as they give you, for the labor is worthy of his wages. Do not go from house to house. Whatever city you enter and they receive you, eat such things as are set before you and heal the sick there and say to them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. So these went out, and the ones before went out, and Jesus told them, "Don't take, basically, don't take anything for the journey. So they're going to need, they will have to trust God, and they could think, well, how is that going to work? We, we don't have what we need. And they could have come back, oh, sorry, and, and basically, or they could have just not gone out and refused, but evidently, that's not what they do. Did when the 70 returned? if you skip down to verse 17, Luke 10, verse 17. It says, then the 70 returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. Notice they returned with joy. They returned with joy. Saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. So did they have what they needed? Did they get the job done that Jesus had sent them to do? Now they could have thought, we don't have what we need, we're going to sit right here. But they went out and they returned with joy because they had seen what God, Jesus, sent them out to do. They had what they needed. They had the Spirit of God with them. They had the authority that Jesus bestowed on me. We have that authority today through the Lord Jesus Christ. We have the Holy Spirit dwelling in us if we're born again, if we've called on the name of Jesus, if we're saved. And we have authority to go forth just like they did, but they went forth and were able to accomplish what Jesus sent them to do. If God, if Jesus, when I say God, Jesus is God, if he, if Jesus sent them to do a task, and he told them and gave them specific instructions, look, you don't need to bring such and such. He knew what he was talking about, and they had everything they needed to accomplish what he sent them to do. Does Jesus know what he's doing? Amen. So if he sent them to do it, they had what they needed. What they needed to do is follow the instructions. They needed to listen, follow the instructions, carry it through. And God, Jesus, as He gave those commands, God was enabling them to do what was said to do. What He said to do. If He said it and told them to do something, by the fact that He told them to do it, that is power and enablement to do it. So if He gives us the command, if He tells us what we need to do, if we'll just obey, we need to trust that we have, what we need to do what he told us to do and walk it out step by step and follow him and then like the disciples, we return with joy and say, yep, it was just like you said. It was just like what you said. It was done. But so many times we're looking at something else. We think we need something else. Could, it, could the disciples, and I mean, maybe somebody, it doesn't record, we don't know, The Bible doesn't record whether anybody grumbled or complained or said anything. But could they have said, are you crazy? I'm not going to take any money. I mean, imagine if you're going to go somewhere and, you know, you're going to walk. You probably wouldn't walk too far today. But somebody said, yeah, you know, you're going to go to the next state. And I don't want you to bring any money. I don't want you to bring a change of clothes. Just go. You could, the thought could cross your mind. What? Why not? Why, why shouldn't I? Why wouldn't we just bring an extra change of clothes and why not bring some money? And what's going on? I need those things. Could they think that? Could they have said it? Could some refuse to go? Yep. But when you look at what's actually going on there, if Jesus said, go do this and here's what you need, is he right or is he not? He's right. And did, he, did they have actually what they needed? Yes, they did. They had everything that they needed. And so many times in life, as we walk with God, that's the case. We have what we need to take the next step. If God's put something on your heart to do, you have enough to get started. Pastor Hagen said that, I remember him saying this in the class that we were taking, I don't even remember what class it was, but it stuck with me. He said, whatever God called you to do, you're gonna have enough to get started. And then you're gonna have to walk by faith to get to the next step and the next step. If you're thinking, I need this way out here to do what God's called me to do and you're here, you're you're gonna have what you need to get going. And there's going to be step, and there's going to be another step, and there's going to be another step. But you have, if God is calling you to do something, next. So Sometimes we get confused because we're thinking, you know, God may have called you to do something down the road. But if we get in our head and think, now, how am I going to work this out? See, this is the difference between following God and just walking things out naturally the way the world does. We're at the beginning of the year. So we know, we know, all over the world, people have made New Year's resolutions, people have made plans, there are certain websites that are getting more hits this time of the year and talking about making to-do lists and getting organized and the gyms are, you know, busy. This is their time where they get everybody on the plans and that's why they make you pay, you know, up front in certain things so they get you because... I'm not against gyms, I'm just saying, they, they, you know, if, you, if you're in business, you know how people are thinking. They're, they're ready to hit it now. That doesn't mean they're going to be ready to hit it three months from now, but if you, they've already paid for it, well, sorry. Subscriptions. You know, online for different things. Hey, they know... And again, I'm not knocking anybody. I'm just saying this is the way people are everywhere. People are logging into stuff, looking for ways to get more done. This is the year I'm getting organized. This is the year I'm decluttering my basement. I'm organizing my kitchen. All that stuff in the garage, I'm going to get out. might be cold now, but I'm going to figure out when it gets warm how I'm going to do it. Right? I'm going to go do such and such, and I'm going to start such and such. And so I'm going to get the plan figured out step by step how to do it. And then I'm going to execute. Now, God's not against plans. He's not against taking steps. God gave us a brain. But the difference between what we do as Christians with the Lord, under the Lordship of Jesus Christ and what we're doing this year as Christians and looking forward and planning things out when we think about things, the difference between Christians and, and just walking like the world is... How, what's determining your plans, who is determining your plans, and how are you're going to walk it out. If God's given you the plan and He's truly directing it, you may not have every blank filled in and you may not have every answer. If you are just looking in the natural, you're going to think, I have to do such and such, X, Y, and Z. And if you don't see how to fill that in, you may stop and go, well, this plan won't work. But God, over and over in the Bible, we just saw one thing. He just told them, go out, don't take this, and do what I told you to do. We could list how many examples. We're going to go to another one where in the Old Covenant. But, you know, when Jesus turned water into wine, he told the people, he told the servants, go fill these these, uh, big containers, these 30-gallon containers up with water. And what they needed was wine, and he said, go fill them up with water. I don't care what book you've read. I don't care what the the 15 steps are. If you say, we're going to go fill these things up with water, and we're going to come back with wine, there is a gap there. (laughs) I don't care what the process is. It doesn't involve something going and sitting and fermenting. We're saying, you're going to fill it up with water, we're going to come back with wine. There is no logic to that. It doesn't work on paper. It doesn't work in reality unless you have the supernatural. Over and over, God told people to do something. And there wasn't any kind of, there wasn't anything out in front of it to look like it. But they had what they needed. They had the word of God. And they had the ability through through the command of God to do what they needed to do. See so many things so many times we'll look and we'll think in the natural. I'm going to read a couple a few verses to you. Mark 10:27. Mark 10:27 said Jesus looked at them and said, "With men it is impossible, but not with God, for with God all things are possible. With God all things are possible. Amen. With God all things are possible. Things. We're talking about that we have what we need. Going into this year, God, if we're following Him, all things are possible. All things are possible. Luke eighteen twenty-seven. It says, but he said, the things which are impossible with men are, Im- are possible with God. Things that men say are impossible, that's subject to change. Because what's impossible today could be possible tomorrow, even with men. So, impossible, when we say impossible, and from a, a natural point of view, well, that's impossible... We got to qualify it as Christians, what is God saying about the situation? Is that in our experience, our knowledge? Or God is able to do what men are not able to do. In the New Living Translation, Luke 18:27 that same verse says, "He replied, what is impossible for people is possible for God." What is impossible for people is possible with God. Mark 9, 23. So for us, you say, well, that's that's possible with God, but what about me? Here it says, if you can believe, all things are possible to him who believes. So God... All things are possible. Things that are impossible with man are possible with God. Well, how does that translate into what we're doing? If he is saying something, either he said it in his word, or he's directing us and guiding us, how does his possibility become our possibility by believing what he said? So impossibility can be over a situation, and men can say impossible. Impossible. But with God, it's possible. So how does His possibility become our possibility when other men are saying it's impossible if we believe Him? If we believe Him, then all things are possible to everybody? No, to the person that believes. Now it becomes possible. Why? Who are we believing? What are we believing? We're believing the one with whom things are possible. So it's, it's basically, if he said it, if he said it's possible, then we need to get the mentality, and as we're going into 2019, and of course it'll carry forward, it doesn't, you know, it doesn't have an expiration date. This is good for whatever, how many days we have left, you know, 359 days left. This will run out, but you know, come 2020... This goes away. No, this is going forward, but it's good to get a mindset when we are going into a new year. It's not bad. to. It's refreshed. We're back at the beginning of the calendar. It's a good thing to, to, to look at where we're going. We need the mentality that whatever we're saying we're going to do, if it lines up with what he said, it doesn't matter what anybody else says. It matters what he said. If he said it, number one, does he know what he's talking about? We need to get it settled. He does. We need to get it settled. If it says it in His Word, it's right. What if it, our, our bodies look like, this is impossible? What if the doctors say, this is impossible? We need to say, what does God say about it? Because God is able to change the human body like this. It's not a thing for Him. See, we get it built up in our heads, certain areas where, well, that's, I mean, that's a big deal, you know whether it's cancer or AIDS or whatever, we have certain things where, see, men haven't cracked it. So then to us, we can have this block in our mind and say, that's tough. Now, if it's something that has already been dealt with, well, yeah, we can, we can deal with that. But you realize 100 years ago, people could die from the things that today medical science can deal with, but in reality, it was lethal before. Well, right now, there are things that are lethal because men don't know how to deal with them. But God knows how to deal with it all. Now. So we need to get in our heads. If He told us and said it in His Word that something is possible, we need to believe it. Right there. When we're talking about having everything we need, every situation. Even with that, like let's say it was a terminal illness, we have what we need. What do we need? We have the ability to look at the Word. What does looking at the Word do? It gets you faith. Then you can act on that faith, and then you can believe God, and the thing can be taken care of. We have what we need, which is the will and the choice to look at the answer and to get the answer into us, so if we'll just take the steps, we can get out. Everything's like that. It could be a financial hurdle. And we could say, I need money. But what we have is the ability to look at the Word and look to the source. And we have something in our hand that we could sow if God leads us. And so we have the ability to start going down the track that the money will come. But we don't need the money. What we do, we have what we need now to start taking steps so that we can walk through on the other side. Every situation is like that. Praise God. All things are possible, not to everybody, but to him who believes, to him who walks with the Almighty. Now we're going to look at a situation in the Old Testament, uh, familiar, but we're going to go through some of the account. Let's turn over to 1 1 Samuel 17. 1 Samuel 17, we're going to put it up in the New Living Translation. I really like the New Living Translation, especially when you're reading, like, accounts or stories in the Old Covenant. It's not great for everything. You can't build doctrine on everything, because it's not, you know, it's not a, uh, it's a translation, but there's certain things that are, you've got to watch it, there's, there's a doctrine that creeps in there, but especially when there's accounts and stories, it reads so easy. And it, it, it's, it's easy, you know, if you're doing your Bible reading, uh, Especially in the Old Testament, it is, is a good, Psalms and Proverbs are great in a lot of areas. Again, if there's ever something where you, um, you kind of question it, look look at, look at a translation that's more literal. And if they disagree, uh, take the more literal one. But First Samuel 17, verse 4, this is the account of, of David and Goliath. And I want you to notice something in relation to what we're talking about here. It says, Then Goliath, a Philistine champion from Gath, came out of the Philistine ranks to face the forces of Israel. He was over nine feet tall. He wore a bronze helmet, and his bronze coat of mail weighed 125 pounds. That's ridiculous. Think about that. It's a big dude. He also wore bronze armor, leg armor, and he carried a bronze javelin on his shoulder. The shaft of his spear was as heavy as and thick as a weaver's beam, tipped with an iron spearhead that weighed 15 pounds. His armor bearer walked ahead of him, carrying a shield. Goliath stood and shouted a taunt across to the Israelites, "'Why are you all coming out to fight?' he called. "'I am the Philistine champion, but you are only the servants of Saul. "'Choose one man to come down here and fight me. "'If he kills me, then we will be your slaves.' But if I kill him, you will be our slaves. I defy the armies of Israel today. Send me a man who will fight me. When Saul and the Israelites heard this, they were terrified and deeply shaken. Verse 12, Now David was the son of a man named Jesse, a Pathrite Paph- from Bethlehem in the land of Judah. Jesse was an old man at the time, and he had eight sons. Jesse's three oldest sons, Eliab, Abinadab, and Shimeah, had already joined Saul's army to fight the Philistines. David was the youngest son. David's three oldest brothers stayed with Saul's army. But David went back and forth so he could help his father with the sheep in Bethlehem. For forty days, every morning and evening, the Philistine champions strutted in front of the Israelite army. One day Jesse said to David, Take this basket of roasted grain and these ten loaves of bread and carry them quickly to your brothers and give these ten cuts of cheese to their captain. See how your brothers are getting along and bring back a report on how they are doing. David's brothers were with Saul and the Israelite army at the Valley of Elah fighting against the the Philistine. Verse 20. So David left the sheep with another shepherd and set out early the next morning with the gifts as Jesse had directed him. He arrived at the camp just as the Israelite army was leaving for the battlefield with shouts and battle cries. Soon the Israelite and Philistine forces stood facing each other, army against army. David left his things with the keeper of supplies and hurried out, to the ranks, to greet his brothers. As he was talking with them, Goliath, the Philistine champion from Gath, came out from the Philistine ranks. Then David heard him shout his usual taunt to the army of Israel. As soon as the Israelite army saw him, they began to run away in fright. Have you seen the giant? the men asked. He comes out each day to divide Israel. The king has offered a huge reward to anyone who kills him. He will give that man one of his daughters for a wife, and then the man's entire family will be exempted from paying taxes. Verse 26, David asked the soldier standing nearby, What will a man get for killing this Philistine and ending his defiance of Israel? Who is this pagan Philistine anyway that he is allowed to defy the armies of the living God? Verse 27, And these men gave David the same reply. They said, yes, that is the reward for killing him. So David's going and asking people and hearing over and over what will happen for the man that kills Goliath. Verse 28, but when David's oldest brother, Eliab, heard David talking to the man, he was angry. What are you doing around here anyway? He demanded. What about those few sheep you're supposed to be taking care of? I know about your pride and deceit. You just wanted to see the battle. Verse 29, what have I done now? David replied, I was only asking a question. He walked over to some others and asked the same thing and received the same answer. Then David's question was reported to King Saul and the king sent for him. Verse 32, don't worry about this Philistine, David told Saul. I'll go fight him. Yep, and that's Saul's, Saul's reply as well. Verse 33: Don't be ridiculous, Saul replied. There's no way you can fight this Philistine and possibly win. You're only a boy, and he's been a man of war since his youth. So, what does it look like? There's no way. You are a cocky little man. <laughs> you don't know what you're talking about. This dude has been fighting since he was your age, and you're just a boy. Not only that, he's massive. You know, he probably is. equipment probably weighed more than David. Verse 34, but David persisted. Now notice this. We're talking about that you have what you need. We're going into this new year. We're going forward. God said... Jesus said in John 10.10, I have come that you may have life and have it more abundantly, that you may have everything you need. Now David is coming into this situation. Now notice, the king is telling him, You're nuts. You've overstepped. And look at his response. David persisted, I have been taking care of my father's sheep and goats, he said. When a lion or a bear comes to steal a lamb from the flock, I go after it with a club and rescue the lamb from its mouth. If the animal turns on me, I catch it by the jaw and I club it to death. What's he saying? I am in, I am doing and I have done what I need to do. And he's coming up to this situation and he said, wait a minute, this is not everything it looks like. He has some experience. He said, I have done this to both lions and bears, and I will do it to this pagan Philistine too, for he has defied the armies of the living God. The Lord who rescued me from the claws of the lion and the bear will rescue me from this Philistine. He is saying, I'm already in the place I need to be. You think I'm crazy. But I've I've had experience. And the same way God has brought me through these things, even though this looks huge, I have what I need to go through this. Saul finally consented. So he convinced the king. Who just a little bit earlier was saying, that's ridiculous. Saul finally consented. All right, go ahead. He said, and may the Lord be with you. Now notice this. So at first he says, you're nuts. You can't do it. David said, no, I've, had, I've, I've done a few things. I'm ready to go. And then the, the king says, all right, you can go. Now, now he tries to help him, quote unquote. Verse 38, then Saul gave David his own armor. He's like, well, fine, if you're going to go, you need this a bronze helmet and a coat of mail, David put it on, strapped the sword over it, and took a step or two to see what it was like, for he had never worn such things before. And David said, I can't go in these, he protested to Saul, I'm not used to them. So David took them off again. He picked up five smooth stones from a stream and put them into a shepherd's bag. Then, armed only with his shepherd's staff and sling, he started across the valley to fight the Philistine. So Saul says, well, fine, you're going to go fight the giant? Notice, nobody wanted to fight the giant. He is too big and bad, and they fled. Warriors are running away. They won't go fight him. Now, side note, all of them have armor. And when David comes in, Saul's response is, what? (laughs) You want to do what? Boy, go home. I know you came to deliver some some, uh, goods, but that's crazy. That's crazy talk. You can't do that. And so David said, no, 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 I've, I've killed the lion and the bear. So then Saul says, all right, fine, you can go. But you need armor. Now, this he's going to fight this giant. Like I said, all these other guys have armor too. The armor is not the problem. I'm sure Goliath can crush you through the armor. Mm-hmm. Armor's just going to slow him down a bit while you get pummeled into the ground or you get, you know, your head chopped off or you get cut in two by that huge sword that he has. The armor is not the deal. But Saul's telling him, well, if you're going to go, you need this armor. You need my armor. And David tries it on, takes a few steps because he had never worn anything like it and takes it off and said, I can't do this. Why? I've never worn this. This, I have not used it. This won't work for me. How I got to this point is not with this. And how I'm going to take that guy out is not with this. I'm going to take him out with what I do know. And he went and got himself five stones. And his sling, he has a sling. He's got a slingshot and he knows how to use that. Evidently, he's accurate. And so he takes what he knew. And then it says... Then, armed only with his shepherd's staff and sling, he started across the valley to fight the Philistine. He had what he needed. At this point in time, he had the experience, and he had the weapon. Everybody else is saying, you're nuts. But he was stepping out to do what nobody else would do. Did he have what he needed? Well, you know the end of the story. He took down the giant with exactly what was in front of him. He did not need the sword. He did not, I mean, he didn't need the armor that Saul was giving him. He had the experience and he was able to go and take him out. With men, men Things are impossible, but with God, all things are possible. And to him who believes, all things are possible to him who believes. Praise God. Amen. As we're going forward, we have what we need. This day, we have what we need. You have what you need to take the next step for what God is calling you to do. If you need education, you say, I need this. Well, but you, do you have the step that you can take to start getting that? You, you know, even if you needed education, you're not going to get it in a day. Not like somebody's going to dump it into your brain and tomorrow you have the education. What do you need now? You have what you need to take the step to apply, to get in, so that you can take the first class, so that you can start taking the steps. Because if you truly need that to do what God has called you to do, then He's not calling you to do it tomorrow. That's our problem. We get ahead of the game sometimes and think, I need this, when really I need what's in front of me. And I will always have what I need in front of me. Always. Always. Otherwise, God's not telling us to do it. When he sent out the 70, they had what they needed to do it. If we say, there's no way I could do what God called me to do with this, then either God's not telling us to do it, or we're thinking we need something that we don't actually need. Because he has always, think about it, if God is saying, take a step forward, well, is he stupid? stupid. Is God just like, well, take a step forward, but you actually need X, Y, and Z? No, He's not going to do that. He's going to say, take a step forward, and we're going to have to say, okay, I guess I'm ready. Bam. Hallelujah. Amen. God is faithful. Yes. Yes, Yes. He is faithful.